You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today we are in week number five of a series called The Greatest Sermon of All Time, where we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is the largest recorded teaching of Jesus in the Bible. It covers three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and it is the goat of sermons. So for some of you here that are uh, that need help with pop culture references, the, the pop culture illiterate, um, goat means greatest of all time. So if you ever hear uh, one of them young whippersnappers say the goat, that's what they're talking about, the greatest of all time. This is the greatest sermon of all time. And in this sermon, here's what Jesus is doing. It's actually, he's saying, I'm a king. It's King Jesus, and he's establishing his kingdom. That's what he's doing. And his kingdom is a different kingdom than what currently exists. And by the way, it's the same today. Like, the, like God's kingdom is different than the kingdom that we currently exist in. And he says, I've come to change things completely. I've come to turn the world upside down. I have come to be able to set things right. I've come to be able to literally remix life as you know it. And he's coming to establish his kingdom. And what he talks about throughout this whole thing is that the key to experiencing this brand new kingdom is repentance. And repentance, it's a word that often gets a really bad rap, has bad PR attached to it, but it's actually a really good word. It's a word that simply means to change your mind, that I want you to change your mind about some things, which then leads to a change in your direction. It's an inside-out change. And so every time Jesus brings up a subject in the Sermon on the Mount, he's challenging us to get God's view on that subject. So let me put repentance another way. Repentance is getting God's view on a subject. That's what it is. It's changing your mind about something, but it's more than just changing your mind. It's getting God's view on that subject. And so every time in this sermon, when Jesus brings up a topic and a subject, he's saying, guys, I want you to get God's view on that subject. So, for example, when he talks about where you and I should find true, lasting happiness, he says, I want you to get God's view on where to do that. He talks about um, uh, things like, I want you to get God's view on your identity. I want you to get God's view on, on how you respond to grace and your, your morality and your ethics. I want you to get God's view on how you treat people, how you treat your enemies. I want you to get God's view on how you approach something that consumes all of us often worry. He says, I want you to get God's view. And this week, guys, I know my voice is jacked up, but I am so excited because I get to, not I have to, I get to, I have the honor of speaking about some of the most misquoted, misinterpreted, misunderstood verses in the entire Bible. Come on, aren't you excited about that today? So Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read, and then we're going to pray because we got to pray about this one, okay? It says this, starting in verse 1. Do not judge. Everybody say that. Do not judge. Let's try that one more time. I didn't lead you very well. Okay, on the count of three, say do not judge. One, two, three. Thank you. Or you too will be judged. 
From the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What in the world does that mean? Let's pray. Let's ask God to teach us, okay? God, we thank you for today. And um, I pray that you will, in my weakness, will you be strong today? And uh, God, right now, what we know is that it's not about person. It's about you speaking to us. And so God, right now, I ask that your spirit of wisdom and revelation will fall fresh in our church today, right here, right now. God, I ask that you would give my words weight and help us to be able to see you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let me take a little quick drink of water. Okay. Um, let's get real in church. Is that okay? Is that okay? Um, we're about to get real up in church. Um, it's a safe place. So how many of you, just by show of hands, you read the Bible, and sometimes you don't understand what you read? Well, raise it up high if that's you. Don't T-Rex arm this thing, okay? Okay, another question. How many of you read the Bible by show of hands and sometimes walk away with more questions than answers. Anybody? Anybody? How many of you read the Bible and sometimes like you wrestle with very real doubt? Anybody? Anybody? Um, so those of you with your hands down, you can just sit there and polish your halo um, <laughs> while I talk to the other jacked up people in the room. But I want you to see, church, that you're not alone. Don't you see that you're not the only one? Like we've all had times where we didn't understand. We've all had times where we approach this book and then walk away with literally more questions than we had answers. There's so many times where we've all wrestled with doubt. And I want you to know that I'm right here with you. Like, as your pastor, I am with you. I know what that's like. I experience that all the time. I've been following Jesus for almost 24 years, and there's still times where I wrestle with all this stuff. In fact, over the years, these six verses that we just read in Matthew chapter 7 have stirred up those type of thoughts and feelings, and I don't think I'm alone. Maybe even today as we read those verses and maybe you are reading in your own Bible or on an app on your phone or looking up at the screen and seeing those words from God's word, like you're, you're even confused today and you have more questions than answers. Questions like, does this really mean that we should never judge anything or anyone, like period? Like if so, then why is there a book of the Bible called Judges? Like, does this apply 
in every situation? Does this include everything that could go under the umbrella of judging? Because if that's true, then teachers shouldn't give grades. Coaches shouldn't cut anyone from a team. We should eliminate jury duty. Bosses shouldn't do performance reviews. Companies shouldn't do a hiring process for open positions. We should stop dating to figure out whether or not someone would be a good spouse. And we should definitely stop filling out March Madness brackets. After all, do not judge. I mean, your brackets are all types of busted. Okay, anybody? Yeah. But, but, but seriously, these are... Like, I wrestle with questions when I read these verses. Like, is Jesus, is he saying that we can never, under any circumstance, hold someone accountable? Is he saying that we can't ever speak into someone's life or point out someone's blind spot or bring awareness to an issue or even say that somebody else's behavior is right or wrong? So what did Jesus mean when he said these words in Matthew chapter 7? It's quiet in here. Y'all good? Here's what I want to do today. Um, I, I, I just want to help you. I want to put on my pastor hat, and I want to teach you what to do in moments like this. I want to teach you what to do in moments where you read the Bible, and maybe you don't fully confidently understand what you're reading or when you walk away with more questions than answers because those moments are coming. If you read the Bible, I promise you there's going to be moments where you're going to wrestle with all these things and I want you to know what to do when those moments come. So in those moments, here are two helpful questions that you can ask whenever you get in moments like this. Here's the first question. I think this is going to help you. What is the context? What is the context of what you're reading? When you don't understand a verse in the Bible, look at the context around that verse. And here are a bunch of good context questions to ask. And this is one big list. If you want to take a picture, you can take a picture. But these are great context questions that whenever you read the Bible, you can ask, like, who wrote it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? To whom did they write it? What happened right before it? And what happens right after it? And just for the sake of time, we're just going to answer those last two questions when it comes to Matthew chapter 7. Because the first four, here's my encouragement, Google it. Google it. Just make sure it's like a Bible website, not like some blog. Who knows what that'll say. Uh, But just, you can, but let's look at the last two questions. First, What comes right before Matthew chapter 7? So I'm going to ask you this. This is not a trick question. What comes right before Matthew chapter 7? Matthew chapter 6. Yes, (laughs) that's right. Um, And one of the major themes of Matthew chapter 6, when you read through the entire chapter, is actually this whole idea of hypocrisy. So three different times... In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns people in his kingdom to not be hypocrites. Let me show those to you. Matthew chapter 6 verse 2 says, When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and treats in streets to call attention to their acts of charity. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 says, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. So Jesus says in these three things, in giving and praying and fasting, like don't do it like hypocrites do. So that's what happens right before this. But look at what comes right after this. Jesus, a few verses later, in in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he says this. He says, watch out for false or hypocritical prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Like, in other words, they're one way on the outside, but they're another on the inside. And he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So how in the world can we determine if someone is a false prophet or not without making some judgments or using some discernment? Like, listen, Jesus isn't saying here that we don't ever have the right to use judgment or discernment towards another person. In the context of what's before and what's after, Jesus is saying this, lean in, that we should never judge hypocritically. That's why Jesus, he further explains in verse 3 where he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. He uses that visual image, which would look ridiculous. Hey, you've got that little bit of dust up in your eye, but he's got a two by four hanging out of his eye. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then, not, not, and then, you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And by the way, if you want to know another theme of Matthew chapter 6, one theme is, is hypocrisy. The other theme that you see is order in, in Matthew chapter 6. You see this theme of order. And just so you know, just so we're on the same page, God is a God of order. Like order matters to God. And so two different times in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about Order. The first is in verse 21 where he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And notice the order, guys, is so important that your treasure doesn't follow your heart. It says your heart follows your treasure. In other words, like how you spend your money, it actually affects the status of your heart, not the other way around. So notice the order. Another time is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 where Jesus says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Notice the order there. Seek God and his kingdom first before anything, before relationships, before your career, before money, before status, like seek God first and then he will take care of everything else after that. Listen, God does not want to be on your list. He is not content with just being on your list. Make no mistake about it. He wants to be first on your list. And in Matthew chapter 7, 
when Jesus is talking about this subject of judging others, notice the order. Planks before specks. He says in verse five, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First planks, then specks. Listen, it is not wrong to lovingly with the right heart and with the right motive, remove a speck from a brother or sister's eye. That's what it means to live in Christian community. That's what it means to grow in awareness. And let me just tell you, awareness is a beautiful thing. That's what it means to make disciples, to look more like Jesus. That's what it looks like to make each other better. That's what it looks like to live out Proverbs 27, 17, where it says iron sharpens iron. So another person sharpens another person. But listen, it is wrong to do it first. And it is wrong to do it only. So with all the context, here's what I think Jesus is saying in these verses. Just one guy's humble opinion. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. One, don't judge hypocritically. And two, when you do, judge in the right order. Planks first, then specks. So, so that's what you learn when you ask that very important question, what is the context? And then a second great question that you can ask Whenever you're like, man, I'm wrestling with what I'm reading. I don't understand it. I have more questions than answers. Here's a second really, really, really amazing question that you can ask, just trying to help you, is this. What does the rest of the Bible have to say about this? That is a great question to ask. Here's so, it's just so important. This is so important. The best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. Like the best way to interpret the Bible is not our experiences. It's not our feelings. It's definitely not culture. And so the best way to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. So in situations like this, ask yourself, what does the rest of the Bible cover to cover Genesis through Revelation have to say about this topic? And by the way, if you are new to our church, maybe you are here for the first time or watching online for the very first time, welcome. I am so stinking glad that you are here. Or maybe you started coming to our church recently. And I just, I just want to make this perfectly clear. If you are new to our church, if you've been wondering, we are a Bible-believing church. We believe that this is the living, active, perfect, powerful word of God that speaks into every area of our life in every season of our life. And we don't line up this to our lives. We line up our lives to this, even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's countercultural, and even when we don't agree. Does anybody in church say amen to that? Okay, that's it. That's important. So let's take a moment and let's interpret the Bible with the Bible. In other words, we're going to ask this question. So what does the rest of the Bible have to say about judging? Now, I did this this week. And when I did, I discovered four things that I think we have to talk about before we wrap up and go eat brunch. And here's the first one, four things. One, I, when, when we interpreted the Bible with the Bible, 
I found this. Number one, we should never judge superficially. We should never judge superficially. These are words of Jesus from John chapter 7, verse 24. The same guy that said what we just read at the very beginning. Jesus says, stop judging by mere appearances. In other words, superficially. But instead, judge correctly. Don't judge superficially. Don't do it by mere appearances. By the way, I want you to know this. Guys, fellas, we are the absolute worst at this, right? You go into the gym, see that dude walk in, you I don't like him. That dude thinks he's all that, <laughs> right? Right? Don't we think that sometimes? Guys is like, yeah, I don't like that guy. Do you know him? No, I've never talked to that man one time in my life. I don't like him. I don't like him. Well, look, at, look at how that guy walks. Look at him looking in the mirror, just doing that. Yeah, guys, we're the worst at that. We judge another dude just by how somebody looks, how somebody walks, whatever. And here's what Jesus says in this verse. Guys, especially lean in. Girls, this is for you too. Here's what Jesus says. Stop it. Don't do that. Stop it. Stop it. Like, don't judge someone by their appearance, by what's on the outside. Don't judge someone by how they look. Don't judge someone by how they walk or how they talk. Don't judge somebody by their age. Don't judge somebody by the color of their skin or the clothes they wear, the car that they drive, the house or the neighborhood that they live in or how much money it looks like they make. Don't judge somebody by the high school that they went to. Hey. And here's the principle that Jesus is trying to teach us. You cannot accurately judge someone by only looking at the outside. Can't do it. You can't accurately judge someone's heart by looking only at the outside. Let me say it another way, that you can't accurately judge someone from a distance. You can't. And by the way, I truly believe that the world would completely change if we did this one. Like, if we just decided that we are going to not ever judge somebody superficially by mere appearances, by what we just see on the outside from a distance, that we're reserving judgment until we cared enough to get to know someone. I'm telling you, that would change the world, Queen City Church. I challenge you, when we interpret the Bible with the Bible, and it says that we should never judge superficially. Here's the second one. Second thing that I see is that we should never hold non-believers to believer standards. So Jesus said the first one, and the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. Listen how strong this is. He don't, he don't play. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Church, it is so important that we get this one right. Look at me, look at me. It is so important that we get this right. It is so important because when we don't, in my humble opinion, this is the number one thing that drives non-believers from God and the church. In other words, when we get this wrong, it destroys our witness. 
Listen, if we get this wrong, what that means is that less people will come to know Jesus. If we don't get this one right, that means heaven will not be as big. And too often, Christians judge those outside with inside standards. If you don't believe me, just open up social media. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it like I felt like God told me to say it. It's destructive, it's dangerous, it's unproductive, and ultimately it goes against the mission that Jesus gave each and every one of us. In fact, our mission as a church is why we exist. It answers this question that we exist to reach all people and to teach them to have a relationship with God that gets better and better. If you've ever wanted to know what this church is about and why we exist, it is that right there. We actually get that from Matthew chapter 28, which is the great commission. It's the mission that Jesus himself gives his people and his followers. So I can't outrank that, but I did, I did try to reword it. And here's what it says is that that is our mission. We exist to reach all people and to teach and have a relationship with God that gets better and better. And listen, we cannot accomplish that mission if we judge them first. We cannot. Listen, there's people that are here that you have, two, like 231 people that's on your heart. Some of you are gonna respond that way today and you're gonna write somebody. And I'm telling you, we exist to reach and teach all 231 of them. And I don't want to do something that disqualifies our witness from reaching people just like this. Now, Heather and I, in our home, my wife, Heather, and I, like we have specific rules and standards in our house. In fact, parents, just, this is just if you want to know an insight into how we parent, we only have two rules. That's it. I figured, man, if we, if we could get everything under two rules, maybe they'll keep them sometimes. And our two rules are this. The first one's kind of two in and of itself. Um, listen and obey and no secrets. I figured if, if Jordan and Caleb could get those two things down, that we're good. So we say, okay, boys, listen and obey and no secrets. Now we have two rules, but then we have 10 family standards. So we have more standards than we have rules. And here's a picture of an art piece that my wife made because she got skills. And, um, and, um, and this is our family standards. It's kind of like our family values, if you will. And so you see up there, those are things that we've decided, man, this is the standard of our home. And so we try to teach these to our boys every time that we can. We try to tell them, like, boys, we follow Jesus. That's what Cromers do. And we lead people. We serve others. Like, we're contributors. We're not consumers. We refuse to live life alone. You want to know who Cromers are? We are generous and we're faithful with small things. We choose to honor because it is a choice and we speak life. We don't speak death. We don't tear people down. We speak life and yes, we eat cookies. It's like our version of old school YOLO. You know, it's like, hey, we're going to be disciplined. We're going we're to eat some cookies too. We're going to have some fun. And those are our family standards. Those are our family rules. Now, Heather and I hold each other and our two boys, Jordan and Caleb, accountable to those rules and standards. In other words, we hold those inside our family to our family's rules and standards. But I can't hold you accountable to those same rules and standards. And I definitely cannot hold other kids 
to those rules and standards. I promise you, if I tried, that would not go well. If I'm at a park, I'm just like, come here, kid. You didn't listen and obey right there. Time out. So that parent would be like, what are you doing, crazy man? But it's the same with the church. We should never hold those outside the family of God to our family's standards. Listen, we are not called to change anyone. You cannot read this book and show me a verse where you are called to change someone. We are called to love people, speak the truth in love, and introduce them to a God who can change them. Introduce them to the same God that changed and is continuing to change us. Church, it's so important that we get this one right. We should never hold non-believers to believer standards. But what about believers? What about those inside the family of God? Like, what should we do when believers fall below the standards? The Bible actually talks about this. Number three is that we should always help restore fallen believers. Now, this next scripture is very challenging to me. Um, But I think it's important that we lean into it. We should always help restore fallen believers. Here's what Galatians chapter 6 Verse 1 and 2 says, it says, brothers and sisters. See, he's talking to people in the family. He's talking to believers. If someone is caught in a sin, it's a strong word. A lot of people don't like that word, but that's what we call it in the family. Caught in a sin. You who live by the Spirit means if you're a believer, you should gossip about them. You should condemn them. You should put them on blast on social media. You should kick them while they're down. By the way, I've heard it said, sadly, that Christians are the only army that shoots their wounded. But let me tell you what it also doesn't say. It doesn't say, hey, when somebody sins, you who live by the Spirit should ignore it. Pretend that it never happened. Try to cover it up. No, it says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Like my soothing baritone voice today. (laughs) Another, Another translation says, gently and humbly. It says, but watch yourselves. If you do that, because you also may be tempted, and this is so important, because the moment that you start correcting others, you are vulnerable to pride. Thinking, so easy to slip into this thinking that you are better now than that person. And the Bible is very clear that pride comes before a fall. But if we stay humble and sober-minded, knowing that what is happening to that person could easily happen to us, that none of us are immune from temptation, 
that we all make mistakes. And we could have easily been the one that made that mistake. God can use us to gently and restore someone who has fallen. I've heard it said, I've heard it said that, that I love the picture of gently and humbly because it's almost like this humility that you found. And I've heard it said that a person that's on his face cannot fall from this position. And this right here, church, is a picture of what it should look like to gently and humbly restore someone back. And that's what the picture says here. That's what it should look like. And then it says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So according to God's word, there are standards in the family of God. And sometimes believers unfortunately fall below those standards. But when that happens, you need to know people should be held to accountability. People should take responsibility and accept appropriate consequences. But the why? The motivation behind all of this, the goal is to gently and humbly restore that person. So the goal of accountability and correction, church, should always be restoration. So what does the rest of the Bible have to say about judging? Number one, that we should never judge superficially. Two, we should never hold non-believers to believer standards. Number three, we should always help restore fallen believers. And then number four, so important, is that in the end, we will all face a final judgment. All of us, when it's all said and done, on our last day here on planet earth, we will all face a final judgment. But there, we won't be judged by people. We will be judged by God. Romans chapter 14 Verse 10 says, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. All of us. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Now the theological term for this is the great white throne judgment. You can read about it in Revelation. And this judgment determines whether or not you spend eternity in heaven with God or in hell separated from God. And when that time comes for each and every one of us, like we won't be judged on our behavior, on our ethics, on our morality. We won't be judged on how we treated people. We won't be judged on our spiritual disciplines in your church attendance, or how often you read the Bible, prayed or served or gave money to the church. It won't be on how you voted. That judgment will be determined by one question and one question only. And that question is this, what did you do with Jesus? That is what you and I will be judged on that day. That one question, what did you do with Jesus? And on that day, here's the right answer. You want to know the answer to that test? I always love when teachers gave the answer. You want to know the answer? Here's the right answer. 
It's not that I sat in church and heard about Jesus. It's not that I read my Bible and and learned facts about Jesus. It's not that I heard a preacher preach about Jesus. The right answer is this. I believed in Jesus. I put my trust, my whole faith into Jesus. That I received his grace, his free gift of grace. And in response, I gave him my life and I made a decision to follow Jesus with everything I have. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.